Coming up, why the expectations for the Denver Nuggets do not change. They have to be held to a championship standard. Plus, look at why the Nikola Jokic stagger question is more complicated than maybe it seems. Finally, a look at the playoff picture. All that and more on Locked on Nuggets. You are Locked on Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everyone, to Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. Thanks for making this your first listen. We appreciate you guys joining us on whatever platform you choose, whether you're on YouTube, joining the live chat with folks like Rayvon and Ryan and JS Banger. Lots of folks hanging out with us in the chat every single day. Glad that you have chosen to make us part of your day. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Riding solo today, Adam Mares is still out until tomorrow when he will rejoin the show. We'll get his reaction to, well, not much because not much has happened since Adam's been gone. Uh, but we'll catch up on it. Nuggets have a rare off period. They have. I looked this up. This is only the set, the third time this season the Nuggets have more than two days off um, between games. So the more between like two days between games on, on a road trip where the last game was away and the next game is away. This is one of the few opportunities for them to actually get some rest before their game Wednesday versus the Washington Wizards. Uh, we'll talk about today a little bit of big picture stuff. Tomorrow we'll preview the game versus the Wizards. We'll take a look at the latest uh, kind of stuff. We'll get Adam's thoughts on the two game split versus the New York teams as well on tomorrow's show. Make sure to check out DMVR for all of their pre and post game shows, as well as their daily content. They're still going on with Adam out of the picture. So make sure that you, well, I mean, on vacation, I don't know where he's at. He's gone, but go check out DMVR. It's, it's very good stuff. You can also download the action network app. If you want to help your boy here. All right. So let's talk about, uh, Big picture stuff. I got asked yesterday by James Merrillat, who I, I know that Nuggets Nation loves and adores on radio. Um, by the way, you should probably be, I would think the Nuggets fans would like Merrillat more since both of you want the, the coach fired to a large degree um, in terms of the majority. But anyway, Merrillat asked me, it, it was a, it was a trap question. And I know it was because it was James. Um, he was trying to basically get me to go easy. I'm alone and the team and be like, you know, given that they have these weaknesses, which I talked about. I was like, look, if they don't play to capacity, then they're extremely vulnerable. He was like, you know, do you lower your expectations? And I said, no, emphatically not. Like the whole point is every team has weaknesses. Even the Golden State Warriors with KD in that 2018 series, you saw it. The Rockets had the formula. Like they figured out how to beat the Warriors. And it was, we're going to switch everything, which is going to lure KD into taking pull-up contested shots, which takes the Warriors away from all of the other stuff that they do that gets you such a huge advantage because KD's like, I can beat this. The right move is to beat this, this you know, single coverage switch. I can win this. And that took away from that. While on the other end, you know, challenging them on their switches with Harden and Chris Paul and being able to manipulate things. Every team has weaknesses. This season, it's more pronounced. Okay. The Suns have a lot of weaknesses, right? Defensively, they've had areas where they look really rough because they lost so much wing depth. Um, they are not a super team. This is the, the my, Milwaukee Bucks, their offense is very mediocre. Okay. In general, like it can be very explosive, but for the most part, and especially we've seen in the playoffs, they struggle to hit shots. So every game is very, very tight. And if you can win those tight situations, you can beat them. Um, you can also draw charges on Giannis. 
Um, the Sixers, Joel Embiid doesn't handle double teams well, and they have defensive liabilities of both James Harden and Tyrese Maxey. So, like, all of these teams, the Boston Celtics, they struggle with, with big combinations, um, especially with Robert Williams' inconsistency of being available. And if you're a team that knows how to get them in rotation with your ball movement, they really struggle. All of these teams have weaknesses. So the fact that Denver has them doesn't mean that they're not on the championship level. The point here is that I don't like this Nuggets team is not is one of the best that we've ever seen. They are legitimately one of the best that we've ever seen in franchise history. This is their best shot at a title because it's not just about them. It's about the window that's open. And furthermore, I'll say this. You win the title and it goes from the it goes from the idea of like, well, they're a really flawed team. I don't know if they can get it done. So like, can you believe how amazing this is? Who could ever beat them? And you fill that void. There's a void right now at the top of the NBA. We've seen this before. In 2015 was the last time that I really saw it where, you know, LeBron had left the Heat. So the Heat dynasty was over. Mini dynasty wasn't really a dynasty. They only won two titles. But mini dynasty, like they were in control of the Eastern Conference and they were really in control of the league there. They left into the, he left in 2014. And all of a sudden it's like, well, yeah, the Cavs should be like at the top, but we don't know because Kyrie and like this is a young roster, et cetera. And there was a gap to fill and the Hawks were there and the Warriors were there and the Hawks fell off while LeBron did what he does, which is always like come through in the playoffs because that's who he was then, not who he is now. And the Warriors filled that gap and then the Warriors dominated and who knows what happens. I'll just tell you, like, look, even them losing in 2016, I think they come back and they win the title next year. They were still the best team in the league. And we saw that last year with how the Warriors won. But there's a gap this year. Like, there is an opening. There is a the void at the top of the NBA. And you need to be the team to fill it. Because if you don't, the window passes you by. And I talked about this on Twitter this morning. This is, like, really important. You know, The fact that the West is so mediocre that the rest of these teams, two is going to be probably, it's going to be either Memphis or Sacramento after Sacramento's loss last night. Memphis is hanging on. Memphis can't score in the half court. They don't have the experience. They really struggle when they can't force turnovers and they're bad on the road. The Kings, even in the stretch where they've been dynamite since the all-star break, are still bottom five in defense. Their defense is not good enough for them to win these playoff games, especially with how little experience that team has. They can make a run. I think they can make a run because of their bracket, but they're like a very flawed team. You're with Phoenix here, but if you establish dominance over Phoenix, and look, Phoenix may face the Clippers in round one, and that's a tough matchup for them. Of all the teams they could face in round one, I think the Clippers are the toughest followed by the Warriors. Those two teams, I think, can beat Phoenix. Anybody else in Phoenix is going to get to the second round, and then it's going to be Phoenix-Denver and look out. But there's a gap here with the rest of this conference. Like you're not, it's not one. It's not like it has been in years past where it's like a gauntlet. Like, man, you got to get past Duncan and the Spurs and you got to get past KD and the Thunder. And you got to get past Chris Paul, Blake Griffin and the Clippers who have the best net rating for any five man starting lineup. And you got to get past this. It's not like that. This isn't a gauntlet. This is, this road is open. So the Nuggets just simply need to be better than everybody else. And you will learn how to become great even if this isn't truly like an all-time great team, which I think they can be. I think they've shown at times they can be, but they haven't been consistent enough to be there. Um, so like this is an opportunity for Denver to be able to be the one that takes control of the league. 
it's not just about how good your team is. It's about how good the league is. It's about your opportunity. There will never be a better opportunity than this. I look around the league and all of these teams are beatable. You know, there's a, a real strong feeling that the top three teams in the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee, Boston, and Philadelphia, are so much better. And I just don't believe that. I've seen, Mil trust me, somebody that's bet a lot of money on Milwaukee through the years. They will have a point where it's a key game and they will not hit threes. They will have open threes. They'll have great looks off a of good ball movement and they just won't make them. And when that happens, things get really dicey for them. Boston, they're very inconsistent too. That was the best team in basketball for four months and then they got to, to the finals and it was like, rah, rah. and like you see this again, like they look awesome when things are going great. When adversity hits, Boston does not look as good. They lose to the Bucs last year if Chris Middleton plays. The Bucs just did not have enough to get past a beatable Celtics team. The highs and lows for this Denver team, I think, are very wide. Like, I worry about, for Denver's sake, I worry about a 1-8 versus the Lakers. I worry about a 1-8 versus, honestly, Dallas. Is I still think a team that you guys need to be concerned about. And I think Dallas is completely fraudulent. Can't defend it all. Three-point reliant. Um... Luca is not nearly as good in the playoffs as it's kind of been like portrayed as I don't trust Kyrie Irving, all these things. And yet like, that's a very good matchup with how they play styles, make fights. The Mavericks style is a good matchup for them is a good matchup for them versus Denver. But if we're talking about like overall, like peak what they're capable of. And this has been the real difference, right? This is the stretch that we're on here with where the nuggets are at. The problem has been that they are so far away from their ceiling. And it shows you if they do not bring it, if they don't find it, if they don't, if they're not able to give what they need to to the game of basketball between April 15th and when their season ends, there will really be nobody else to blame but themselves. The blame will go to Malone. I've talked about that, about how if they fall short, I believe that Malone's going to be the one that, that catches it. And I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve that, like some level. But I'll just say that the opportunity is there. And if they play to capacity, if they work to find their ceilings, this team has a real opportunity to win the NBA championship. And there's not a better opportunity that you may find. And I'll also say this, if you let this opportunity go by, some other team's going to fill that void and that confidence will carry over and it'll alter free agent signings and internal dynamics and all those things. Winning begets winning in the NBA, losing begets losing. You need to win. The expectation is the expectation. It does not change. It's title or bust for the Denver Nuggets. On the other side, I want to talk about Nikola Jokic and staggering him with the second unit, which has been talked about, which gets into some conversations I've been having about other teams and the the problem of maximizing your best versus minimizing your worst. We'll talk about that on the other side. I need to tell you about FanDuel Sportsbook, which the tournament's heating up right now, and it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Um, 
had a parlay last night on the Memphis Grizzlies to win the first quarter and to win the game. Got home on it. It was great. Good to see that going down. Those are the kind of things that you can bet on at FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel lets you combine your bets for a bigger payout with the same game parlay like I just talked about. Plus, you can get in on, if you still think Jokic can win the MVP, I don't. But if you still think he can, you can bet him at a pretty good number now over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. We'll be right back on Locked On Nuggets. Back here on Locked On Nuggets, thanks for joining us and making us part of your day. Um, my voice may not sound great. I'm pretty ill um, still, but we're hanging in. Thanks for joining us and making us your first listen. Appreciate you guys being with us. Pop the – man, the uh, chat is bumping. Um, Jovan Svetti says, okay, Jokic gets injured in the playoffs and then what? You find a way to win. This team is capable. Honestly, sometimes I think that one of the problems is they rely on Jokic too much as a crutch. Like I think that, that this team is really talented and has a lot, lot to like – of ways that they can play, but they're always under a lot of pressure to play through Jokic. I don't think that that means that you don't play through Jokic because they're at their best when they do that because he's amazing. But yeah, I think that there's, I think there's ways for them to like, you find ways to win. Um, let's talk about Jokic dagger. Okay. So, of the many reasons to kind of like stagger Jamal with the second unit, um, a lot of this is based off of, I, I want to start here with this premise that I think everyone needs to understand. Uh, star players get to determine their rotation in the NBA. You'll actually hear guys talk about like checking themselves in when it's time. Uh, in the NBA, Star players get to determine it. Steph has openly said, like, I'm going to go back to this other rotation because it's what we need. Like, he's done that. Right? So if Jokic doesn't want to stagger with the second unit, if he wants to play most of the first and all of the third, then that's a largely on him. And if Malone says, hey, I want to try this, Jokic is going to be, at, like, amicable to it. He's coachable. That's a, one of the great things about Jokic is that he's coachable. So you can try it. The question that this gets into is a really fascinating one. And I like it because and we can do this without having like hot takes about good, bad, terrible, awful. Like we could just talk about it. If you stagger Jokic at the five minute mark, the way that the Sixers do with Embiid, five or six minutes, what you get to then is you have an extended stretch with better players, the starting five, right? You have Jamal and MPJ and Aaron and KCP, or if you sub out um, KCP for, you know, Bruce Brown and roll with that second unit because that's been Bruce's rotation, right? If you stagger that rotation, what you're going to do is you're going to raise the floor of the bench. The bench floor gets better, but it's fewer minutes with Nicola on the floor to optimize the starting unit that you paid for. Like they paid Aaron Gordon because of his fit with Nikola Jokic. They paid MPJ because of his fit with Nikola Jokic, right? Jamal's a little bit different. Jamal's just like, he's like the number two guy. 
you raise the floor of the bench if you put Jokic to that second unit. You're going to win those minutes. I'm not denying that you are, right? You're going to win them even with the with you know Jeff Green. The minutes are good as much as everyone in here is is ragging on Jeff. The Jeff Green Nikola Jokic minutes are good. The Jeff the Nikola Jokic Chris Brown minutes are great. The Jokic Vlaco minutes are awesome. All of these types of things, and it would raise that floor. The question is whether in that five to six minute stretch of the first quarter that you don't have Jokic on the floor. If the rest of the starters are good enough to get you through that to a higher degree than they are with Jokic in those minutes, it's about you're trying to win that first stretch of the the first quarter, which is start of game until Jokic leaves between the two minute mark and the one thirty mark. The first ten minutes of game time, you want to win those minutes by like plus twelve. This is why I'm always like stressing, like guys, look at the starters numbers. Like, look at the start, because that's the way that this team is structured, is you are supposed to win those minutes by 12. And what happens is when the starters don't win that, and then the bench loses them, everybody's like, look at that edge! And I'm like, you gotta win that starting stretch by a lot. Now, maybe if you stagger Jokic with the second unit, that goes away, and you're actually, what you're doing then is you're just like, you're winning more stints on average by more, right? So you don't bleed out in the 130 mark to the eight minute mark when Jokic returns. You're just able to like handle this. Um Russell says that's our problem. The rest of the starters are not good enough without Jokic. Russell, I don't think we know. Like we don't have any proof of that. We don't have any we like we don't have a wide enough set. Like Jokic's rotation, we haven't tried that. You know, like if you say like, well, look at the starters numbers when Jokic isn't on the floor, but they're never to like, it's almost never that you have the four other starters without Joker. It's like Bruce Brown or Christian or Jeff or Vlatko. It's some combination of the other ones. We don't really know. Right. And so this is kind of the question. The other thing that I, I want to like, I also want to like note this, that this is a really important dynamic here. Cause this is, this I think is where fans completely miss this because players are never going to talk about being tired. Right. Cause it makes them look bad. They know I ever want to say that a like joker after games where he's been physically gassed has been like, I'm fine. Um, I'm good. Like, come on, man. If Joker feels that he's better for a 10-minute stretch and needs a longer rest, that factors into this conversation, right? Because the conditioning is very different for playing a hard five to six minutes, sitting for five minutes, playing hard for four minutes, sitting for two minutes, playing hard for four minutes. That endurance schedule is different, and every player is a little bit different in that regard. Embiid, as an example, is better this way because that's what he does because he's better for short stints. If you watch Embiid try and play like an eight to 10 minute stretch by the end of it, Joel is gassed. He is done. Giannis is, is in large part this way too, because Giannis plays at such a high motor level. He's burning so much energy with how hard he plays and how fast he moves that he gets gassed. If he plays in longer stretches, Joker on the other hand, I think is better for like, a solid hum over these eight to 10 minute stretches. So like, Freddie, this is not what we're talking about. If a player needs help with his conditioning at this point in the season, it's not good. That's not what this is about. This is about individual players and how they operate to peak capacity. 
And this is not just Joker. This is everybody. Okay. Game six, game seven, Joker's going to play 42 to 48 minutes. We, we've seen it. And he's going to play great. The Blazers game in game, when they were down in game six on the road, is one of the most amazing performances I've ever seen from an athlete from a conditioning standpoint. Like two days after a heartbreaking to overtime loss and Joker went the distance. It was amazing. Um, so like, this is like part of the, the whole thing there is you got to be able to, to consider that. So, um, Russell says Jokic looked mentally tired for weeks now. I would agree with that. The, the thing though here is when we're considering these questions about if Joker should stagger with the bench, you have to get into the question of, and I, I know some people believe in it, like agree with it, but the question is, if you're plus five in Joker in Joker's, if you're not plus five in the in Joker's first five minutes, you're screwed, because now the starters have to either win without Joker over the next five minutes, or and win by a margin, because like then it's like you, I would just tell you this. I don't have faith that Joker is so good that you can risk that that much, that you could just be like, Joker's going to be a plus in every single stint. Cause we see that he's not like Joker will wind up with like a plus 12, plus 13, plus 18. But even in those games, he'll have one of the three, the, the four stretches that he plays where he's a negative. That puts a lot more pressure, even on the cola and it messes with his conditioning stretch. I'm not saying it's not worth looking at. Cause I think it is, but I do kind of wonder if it like, that's part of, of the equation. Um, honestly, what would be kind of interesting is to try out a, and the, again, this is too late in the season. They've already established their, their substitution pattern, but I think that, like at some point it would be hypothetically interesting to see a both Jamal and, and Joker stagger. This sounds crazy, but Bruce Brown's floor, I think is pretty high, even with how he's played this season, if he's alongside KCP and Aaron Gordon. So like, if you put in Bruce Brown and Zeke and you play them and it's, Bruce, KCP, Aaron Gordon, MPJ, and Zeke. That lineup, I think, could probably get you through the rest of that first quarter. And then Jamal and Joker can single-handedly raise that second unit up high enough. It's honestly not a bad plan. I think it'd be really interesting, but I don't think it's going to happen. The last thing that I would stress on this is that you need to consider the player input in these decisions and not just make it about the coaches. I'm not making excuses for Malone here. Again, if they fail to reach the finals, I've said, people that want him gone are going to get their wish. Okay? This is about, I'm trying to help you as a listener understand how the NBA works versus how fans act like it works, which is that Malone is an all-seeing god that gets to make all these decisions. This is not college. That's the difference. On the other side, I want to talk about the Western Conference playoff picture. Uh, we'll talk about some other things going on with, the nuggets in terms of rotation questions and all those types of things. Um, and I'll make a plea for some of our overseas listeners. We'll do that when we return here on locked on nuggets. Back here on locked on nuggets. Thanks for joining us, making us part of your day. Appreciate you guys being with us on a Tuesday. It's a good day. I feel, I feel better. I got medicine. So that was good. I went two days where I didn't take medicine, even though I was sick. Cause I was like, I don't want to drive to Walgreens. I'm too sick to go to Walgreens. And that was a bad decision. Like I was, my wife was pretty concerned about me yesterday. Um, Adamar is back tomorrow. 
we'll talk. I'll get Adam's thoughts on the two game split. We'll talk about some of the things that we've been discussing here as well. Um, I want to get you up to date on the Western Conference standings. So last night was a very good night for the Denver Nuggets as far as their race for the number one seed. As the Sacramento Kings took the, the loss to the Utah Jazz on the road, they face the Boston Celtics tonight. It is a fifth game in seven nights for the Sacramento Kings. So if they're not able to um, light the beam, it's going to be a pretty good spot for Denver to, to gain another game on the Kings for the number one seed in the Western Conference. Right now, the magic number for the Denver Nuggets is seven. That's seven for the number one seed. Want to let you know an update. I tweeted about this, but just in case you haven't caught it, the Nuggets have clinched a, a play-in spot, a playoff spot, and they clinched home round, home court in the first round. They will be a top four seed no matter what. They will at least have – they could lose every other game from here to the end of the season and still be in fourth. So optimum thing there. Um, Memphis got the win last night versus Dallas, which I actually think kind of helps Denver because it pushes Dallas further down and towards potentially an elimination in the, the first round I, or in the plan. I again tell you to be concerned about that. I want to bring up the Clippers because this has been an interesting conversation on Twitter. Uh, Clippers are 38 and 34. They got two huge games versus the Oklahoma City Thunder who are on their trail, um, trailing only two games in the loss column. There is a level of confidence from Denver fans about the Clippers right now that I, I want to warn against. Um, they came back from them down 3-1 and have a mental edge over them. I think it's pretty apparent there's a mental edge. The Clippers may not admit it, but like the way that that team plays against Denver, I think that there is kind of a, we can't beat these guys. There's a feeling there, and I get that. Two things. One, you were still down 3-1 to this team with a worse roster and a worse coach. I think Ty Lue's overrated. Like last year, people were talking about him as a top five coach in the NBA. I was like, what? Like, what What are we doing here? This year, there's been a lot more pushback on that. Ty hasn't had as good of a season. As I've mentioned before, coaches have good years and bad years. This has not been a great Ty Lue season. But this is a, he is a better coach than Doc Rivers. This is a better roster. They didn't have Nick Batum. And you're going to be like, Nick Batum? Yes, Nick Batum. It's another floor spacer. It's a guy that honestly can play Joker in small ball. Those small ball rotations that we talk about being such a problem, where like if they put Zoo on Aaron Gordon and have him help over and Batum is, is fronting him, Batum's very long. There are things that Ty Lue can go to that he has not gone to in the regular season that they can get to. Do I question... The Clippers' heart? I do. I question their heart because I think that your team automatically takes on the identity and heart of your best player. And I don't trust Kawhi Leonard. Okay? He hit a four-bouncer shot in a game seven. He has dominated the Dallas Mavericks. And then he's been hurt. There's nothing else really to point to about the Clippers. And they lost the 3-1 lead to the Nuggets, where they got he got badly outplayed by Nikola Jokic. I question that. But don't overlook this team. The Clippers are really good. They have a lot of weapons. They have a lot of options. They have flexibility. They shoot a ton of threes. Like, there are a number of ways for them to be able to win this matchup. Do not discount the Clippers. Like, I'm just saying Denver fans have gone way too far. Hurricane says, shouldn't fans feel good about that matchup? 
you should feel better about it than the Warriors. You should feel better about it than the Suns, right? If we're ranking things. But the difference is when fans are like, oh, yeah, no problem. All, as much as these teams are beatable, and I said these teams are flawed, I talked about that in this first segment, these teams are still pretty good. Clippers are still pretty good. They got a lot of talent. Don't overlook that team. Uh, Russell says, I'm worried about everyone except the Kings. You know, I I mean, I would honestly sub that for Memphis. That's the one that I would tell you. is like, I don't think Memphis can beat you. I don't think Memphis can beat you in a seven-game series. I don't think they have enough options to beat you in a seven-game series with Brandon Clark out. I don't think they've got what it takes. Um, so, uh, elsewhere in the Western Conference, it's looking like Memphis and, and Sacramento are almost definitely going to be the two and the three. Phoenix is almost definitely going to be the four. They're five games back in the loss column of the Kings. That's almost done. Like the Kings are going to, the Suns are going to be, are going to be four. They've got a two game lead um, or a one game lead on the Clippers. Sorry. Possible that could flip flop, but I don't see the, the Suns falling much further. KD supposed to be back by the end of the month. So within the next 10 days, that probably stabilizes them. They probably go on a run. They lock up a four. Um, so it does look like it's going to be, if the Nuggets get past the first round, it's going to be Nuggets Suns second round. So start mentally preparing yourselves for that matchup. That's something you should keep in mind. A couple of teams that I would tell you to be on the lookout for in the eighth seed. Um, look, the Lakers, I don't need to tell you about it's LeBron and AD and the history of the 2000 of the bubble. And you know, this team is so dangerous, blah, 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 blah. I mean, they're still like a very bad team. Like the Lakers are still, they're just me very mediocre. I wouldn't even say they're bad now. They're just, they're fine. They're pretty good sometimes, but I don't know about the LeBron thing. He's um, pretty banged up. So we'll see about that. A couple of the teams, though, uh, I actually want to warn you about the Wolves a little bit as far as like an eight seed potential matchup. Um, you know, the Nuggets owned them for years and years and years after the, the game 82, right? They destroyed them. They've Wolves got them a couple times this season. Jokic sat some of those games, so that, that matters. But the Wolves have played them pretty well this season. This team's tougher and has more heart than I think people realize. Last night was a very good example of this. They were without Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. And they beat the Knicks on the road. It was a phenomenal win for this Minnesota team. They have battled. We talk about the adversity thing. The Wolves have battled so much adversity. And I get the response is going to be like, Jokic owns Gobert. Again, you were down 3-1, right? And everyone was like, man, like Adam was down bad when Gobert was like winning that matchup. And then Jokic hit the game winner and destroyed him in game seven. You can feel confident about that. You're the better team. I'm just saying. Of all those options, that one's a little bit worrisome. Uh, OKC, I think, is really good, but I just don't think they can match up because they don't have any centers that can go against Joker. So that's something to kind of consider. The Wolves, I do think, are a little something to at least consider here. Danny says those Wolves games were so fake. The schedule maker set Denver up. Don't disagree entirely with that, right? It's contextual. I don't care as much about, in regular season, I talk about this, I don't care about the win-loss record versus individual teams. I care about the minutes, and the fact that Denver wasn't able to win the starter minutes convincingly is just something for me to kind of like consider. Uh, take us some more questions before we get out of here. Mad Max 88 says, Matt, you really think Jokic is out of the MVP race? What if Philadelphia goes in a slump? There's time here. Um, Sixers lost last night to the Bulls. First time I think the MB's lost to Chicago. Uh, he fouled out, by the way, in a, in a double overtime loss to the Bulls. It's possible. I'll just tell you this. Um, I've covered the MVP as closely as I've covered anything in my career. I don't recall a season where narrative has determined this much of the vote. The argument's going to be that I'm like, it's just a bias against Embiid, and I'm not. Joel's incredible. Joel's amazing. 
it just very much feels like so much of the conversation is laden with like, but we got to give it to Joel. Like he missed out the last two years. Like, come on. Can't you give it to the guy for once as if this is not a meritocracy, as if this is not determined by play on the floor. Um, and B's been the best player in basketball, I think, for the last, I don't know, since All-Star, probably, right? Averaging like 35 and 15, um, destroying all these teams. He's got the signature wins versus Joker and Giannis, so the, that one's to be determined. Joker's got another crack at him at the end of the month. If Joker wins the matchup later in the month, does it swing things? Yeah, I don't know if 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 you yeah. like, let me put it this way. If I'm Embiid and I want the MVP as much as Joel has made it clear that he does, and that's not a bad thing. That's okay to want the MVP. It's okay to want that for yourself. But if you're like looking to try and win it, you don't play in that game. Like you let the record stand. You're just like, oh, sorry. You know, I got, I got a foot thing. Cause he actually is pretty banged up. He was actually hurt last night. His foot's hurting. Um, him and Harden are both banked are pretty banged up. Uh, Matthew Tinsky says, Joel, it's his turn in beat. Yeah. Like that's really what this kind of comes down to. Uh, it, it seems to me, here's, here's what kind of happens. Joker can't win for all of the reasons that are tied to him being a three-time MVP. And we've talked about the, how disgusting that discourse is and the nuggets slid and Joker has taken himself out of it. Like two things can be true. Joker has taken himself out of it with how the nuggets and he have played and nobody wants him to win. So Joker's out. So now it's into, okay, who else? But it's not really who else. It's just like, well, it was always Embiid and Giannis and, and Joker and Joker's out. So now it's Embiid versus Giannis and Embiid's numbers are better than Giannis, even though Giannis has a better record and is a better defensive player. Like to me, it's Giannis. It's been Giannis. Like I thought Giannis should have won last year. I said that on the show. Like I think Giannis should have won last year. And that's doesn't mean I don't think Yogesh is deserving. He absolutely was. It's close, but that's kind of where I think it happens. Um, Finally, I do I do want to kind of talk about this. Just a, a request for for var- various folks that listen to the show. Uh, we appreciate everybody that makes us part of our day. And like Serbian fans stay up to watch Nuggets games and they stay up to watch the show and like they make they carve time out. I'm just saying we could go a little bit easier on the rest of the team. The Nuggets are good. Like if you're a fan of Jokic, you could be a fan of Jokic and a fan of the Nuggets simultaneously because the Nuggets are like are his team. And they're gonna be his team probably for the duration of his career. So like Maybe don't say that Jamal Jamal Murray is trash all the time and that Michael Malone can't wait for Michael Malone to be fired. There's opportunity here. Like, you can like more than one thing about the Denver Nuggets and not just Nicola. That's a thing that we can do. I'm just, I'm asking. I'm requesting that as a member of the media. Um, Hurricane says, why aren't Nuggets fans as, as insane as Broncos riders? Broncos media will say absolutely spacious things through their whole chest. And Nuggets fans won't even say true things with their full chest. Um, you want to know why? Honestly, part of that is hurricanes because the results aren't as conclusive because it's not small sample. There's a, look, think about how much noise there is in a two game season, like the wolves thing, right? Like, hey, the wolves have won some games versus the Nuggets this year, and it was bad schedule spots, right? It's hard to take anything away, and everything is probabilistic. And you get to be when you do this enough, like you're wrong so much, and the NBA is so tough that I think it's harder for you to have these declarative statements. 16 games, I think, allows you to be a little bit more declarative in things because the results say a ton. Like the results of every single NBA NFL game says a ton. The results of any given NBA game, even in the playoffs, doesn't say a lot. Like here's, uh, as an example, here's how I tend to think about uh, playoff games, playoff series. 
you're going to have like two games where a singular player wins it for one team and two games where a, sing- where a singular player wins it for the other team. So it's decided by like the other three. And that's going to come down to tactical matchups uh, in terms of the, like coaching and how you manage those things and the shot variance and pure luck. But that's what it comes down to in a seven game series. It's tight. There's a lot of times when I don't think the best team has won the seven game series. There's this idea the best team always wins in the NBA, and I don't believe that's true. So that's what I would say. Russell says expectations are higher for the Broncos. This is a double-edged sword. The expectations may be higher for the Broncos, but the belief in them is also higher as an organization, right? It's like, well, they've done it. So like the Broncos can win the win the Super Bowl. I've seen it. You haven't seen this team. You 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 saw that fraudulent ass 2016 team win. Yeah, I said it. But like you haven't seen this team win. They're entirely different, right? Like the Nuggets organization is a lot stronger right now than the Broncos. That's pretty evident. But the perception in town very much is that like the Broncos are a winning franchise and all the other ones, uh, Rockies, Avs no longer. Like you can't count the Avs, but it's hockey. I don't think that's fair. I love the Avs. The Avs rule. The Avs are amazing. Got another win last night, by the way. Uh, listen to Locked on Avs, by the way, if you're an Avalanche fan. You know, in the Nuggets, they're treated these. And I've noticed that since I got here, that there's just like everyone else is a second class citizen to the to the Broncos. And like it's the NFL and it dominates, but it's just the way that it's talked about is very different. Um Danny says Nuggets media has dealt with decades of mediocrity. You don't really get to have high expectations and huge takes when you're covering uh like Emmanuel Moutier. I thought Emmanuel was gonna be great. I did a whole article after one of his games that was like, here's why Emmanuel Moutier is the future of the NBA. <laughs> Again, yes, like why we we don't say things with our whole chest. Maybe that's why. Because I said with my whole chest, Emmanuel Moutier is going to be like part of the future of the NBA. Whoops. So that's part of the of the equation here. Um, Vasily, chess says, last year, all are against Barton. Why Malone played him so stubborn. Maybe next year will be clear if Murray is so good, like some Denver analysts think. I will tell you this that I'm getting to the point with Malone where it feels very much like like Will it was like no matter what Will did he was going to be on like it just didn't matter like it just wasn't going to work out and that's kind of like how I feel about Malone I feel like that's a shame because of what Malone's accomplished here and how good the Nuggets are also Jamal Murray's really good uh, he won playoff by the way just want to make this very clear uh, that three one comeback versus Utah was not because of, of Nikola Jokic it was because of Jamal Murray Jamal Murray saved Nikola Jokic in that series. Like, Joker's great. Joker's a better player. Joker's a franchise. Joker's the icon. Get it. Jamal Murray saved Joker in that series. Can't ever take that away from Jamal. Okay. Let's go wrap it up for Lockdown Nuggets for a Tuesday. Hope you guys had yourselves a great day. We'll be back tomorrow. Adam will be back. We'll get his thoughts on the two games from New York. We'll get we'll preview the Wizards game. We'll take a look at some other stuff on the Western Conference. I'll get his thoughts on what good and bad playoff matchups are. We'll do all that and more on tomorrow's show here on Locked on Nuggets. Have yourselves a great day.